0: Welcome to multifamily real estate investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Polling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you this week as we discuss a topic that may be unique to a small number of firms in the multifamily industry. And it's an element that we think is really important as part of managing assets throughout the entirety of their cycle. And that is annual underwriting. Now, most, and I say most, really all deals are underwritten for the acquisition. Um, If you're building your own portfolio, you do some kind of an underwrite, even if it's just a simple back of the envelope, uh, quick calculation most will do something a little more elaborate than that. And a firm like Mara Polling uh, may have a very elaborate model. Uh, ours has grown uh, dramatically over the years. Uh, we're very proud of it. Uh, and it's a proprietary tool that we use that we think makes a big difference in terms of the quality of the decision making we have. But we also do an annual underwrite, not just an underwrite at the acquisition. So why would we do that? How do we do it? What's that look like? That's what we're going to talk about this week. As always, if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. Don't forget to swing by the Learning Center at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. Lots of great content there, Uh, past episodes of this podcast the Multifamily Real Estate channel with great content, including recorded past webinars, live webinars that you can register for. Uh, Lots of great content there. I encourage you go check that out. Okay, so let's talk about annual underwriting. Well, before we hit the annual part of it, what's underwriting? Underwriting is simply modeling the performance that we believe an asset will experience over its entire hold period, five years, 10 years, whatever that might happen to be. Simple underwriting would be, this is what my rents are today. This is some of the other income I get. Here's what my expenses are. This is the amount of net operating income I have. I'm going to have some debt. So here's my debt service that leaves me with cash. And then I forecast that maybe year one, year two, out through year 10. And I look at it and say, well, I'm going to sell at the end of year 10. How much do I think I'll sell for based on how much NOI I'm generating? And I can then do some math to determine what was my cash return over that 10 years and what was my equity growth over that 10 years. That's a pretty basic underwrite. And I've seen a lot of those. Many of you have shared your underwrites with us, uh, looking to get some feedback and some thoughts, and we're happy to do that. There's also more detailed underwriting in which you say, well, it's not just my rental income, but I'm going to have rent growth from market conditions. I'm going to have rent growth from value add. I'm going to introduce new amenities that may drive rents or other income or both. I'm going to have several different expense management strategies over time. I'm going to have a number of different debt options that I want to model. And I want to do a lot of what ifing to stress test this acquisition. And then you can do that in greater detail, not just annually, but quarterly, even monthly. And that's the kind of underwriting that we do. And I'm sure there's many other firms that have similarly detailed underwrites. We're very proud of ours. Uh, it isn't a tool that we share, but we share the outputs from it, the performas that come uh, from that. And our private investment clients that partner with us are part of that underwriting process, as well as people that participate in our key principal program, both opportunities I'd be happy to discuss with you if that's something you have interest in. So that's done at the acquisition. Well, why would you do an underwrite during the hold period? You already purchased the property. You're not making a decision about buying it again because you already own it. Or are you? (laughs) We're of the belief that if I choose to hold an asset to continue to own it, to continue to exercise the plan to execute, that I'm making a decision effectively to buy it again under the current terms and conditions that I'm exposed to. And that's a decision I don't want to make accidentally or unknowingly. I want it to be a conscious decision. So we do an annual underwrite, To answer several questions, one of the questions is, should we sell? Now, that's kind of an odd question to ask when you've only owned an asset for a year. We've had assets that we've made significant gains during the first year or year and a half. And having done that, we've come to the conclusion that it does make sense to exit And we've exited those assets and redeployed that significant amount of lazy equity in uh, an effort to optimize our return on our clients' investment. So it is possible that you could say yes, that it's appropriate to look at an exit in year one or year two. Certainly, as you get out towards years three and then four and five in particular, that should we sell is. A real question. There's other questions, though. Should we continue our current strategy? What have we experienced in terms of rent growth, changes in the market? What have we experienced in terms of actual performance of our value-add program? Based on all of that, do we still want to continue with the plan that we had in place from a year ago or from two years ago? the world changes and to simply blindly follow a plan that was put together at acquisition isn't always going to produce the right outcome. More often than not, especially during the early years of a hold, we in fact find that our original plan continues to make sense and we just simply continue to execute it. But that's not always the case. And in some instances, we diverged from the plan fairly quickly. There are properties where we've experienced significant rent growth, rent growth that was equal to and possibly even in excess of what we thought we'd get on the value add side. And so we've held off on the full value add program for a period. Do we return to value add? How much? When? So on. Another question to ask is, Should we continue our current debt structure? Generally speaking, we're using agency debt of a 10-year term with fixed interest rates that also has large penalties early in the hold period. So defeasance or yield maintenance, something like that. Does it make sense based on what's going on in the interest rate market for us to either refinance and replace the debt, or if we've grown in value, to place some supplemental debt on the property that frees up lazy equity. That could also be done with a refinance, a cash out refinance. Again, probably not something the answer is going to be yes, go do that in year one. But by the time certainly you get to year three and year four, that's a real possibility. So now you could see a scenario where we'd have an underwrite that says, if we sell, maybe we're in year four, if we sell, this is the outcome. This is the net proceeds. And here's what we would forecast we would do with those dollars and what that return looks like. And if we were to refinance and hold, here's what we think the future of this asset looks like. If we were to refinance and cash out, here's what the future of this asset looks like, plus what we would do with those other dollars. If we were to add supplemental debt to the existing debt to cash out, here's what the continued hold of this asset looks like, as well as the um, uh, investment of that supplemental cash that came from that additional uh, mezzanine debt. That's a lot of options to look at, but those are all on the table. And the deeper we get into a hold period, the more likely any one of those or multiple scenarios are. And we wanna be able to compare them so that the investors are in the best decision, uh, position to make a decision. Now for our investment funds, we're the decision makers. For our private investments, the investors that we're partnering with uh, are involved in that process. And we want to make sure we have a complete package to put together. And then there's the answer of, or the question of, do we just hold it? Do we, you know, if we're going to look at sell, if we're going to look at varying the debt, do we simply hold the asset? And all of those together are various forks in the road. Some of them, it'll be very obvious very quickly. Yeah, that's not going to work. We aren't going to pursue that. That'll occur during the early stages of that annual underwriting process. And then we're not going to deploy any more energy looking at that because we know that's not something that's going to make sense. Um, However, other options might make sense. And so we will go further down the road with that. So how do we do that? What's, What's this actually look like? Well, let's talk again about how we do an underwrite at acquisition. When we do an underwrite at acquisition, it starts with two basic pieces of data that we receive from the seller. One is a trailing 12 set of financials, and the other is a rent roll. And from those two items, we're able to begin the underwriting process. We're able to populate the current economic condition of the asset to forecast what we think might realistically happen from a rent movement standpoint, value add, other income, and forecast what we think first year expenses will be and expense growth over time. And when we put all of that together, we then get our first cut at, does this asset look like it makes any sense? When we do an annual underwrite, There is no seller, but those documents still exist. There's still a trailing 12 set of financials and there's a rent roll. So we start with those in the same way that we would if we were buying the asset. We just know a lot more. We know a lot more about the asset. We know about the condition of the property. We have a much better handle on what kind of capital needs to be deployed. We can, uh, put our plan in for what we're going to be doing. And obviously we're doing this, we start with the original acquisition underwrite and simply modify it to be able to take a look at these scenarios. Our underwrite has additional tools though. When we're purchasing an asset, we're not looking at, well, what would the impact be of a refinance or supplemental debt or an exit at this point in time because we don't own the asset. Now that we own the asset, those other elements come into play. And so there are additional modules that we look at that we go through and populate. And there's assumptions that just like we make on an acquisition, there's assumptions that we need to make there. What do we think that debt would look like? So we'll have a conversation with our uh, our finance group and come to some Assessment of we think a refinance would have this kind of terms associated with it and a refinance would trigger defeasance or yield maintenance. So here's what we think that looks like. Supplemental debt we think would look like this in terms of terms and conditions. Here's the cash that we might net from a refinance or that we would net from a a supplemental, assuming that there's enough growth in the asset to support that. And here's the assumptions about what we do with those dollars, what kind of return we would experience over a future period of time. And now we can look at how that asset is going to perform with this incremental debt load on it. And we're also able to look at what if we exited? How, what would we get in the way of proceeds and how would we invest those proceeds? And so these additional modules give us a capability to look at that. Ultimately, we end up with an analysis, a spread. Here's the options we have. And we list all the options out. We go through and list a number of factors around, uh, not just the returns. Returns are obviously something we're interested in. Also, we're looking at things like, what is this going to do to the stability of the asset, uh, the risk profile of the asset? Do we end up over-levered given where we think we are in the marketplace Does this put us in a position where we either have additional capital to deploy? For example, we're going to hold the asset, but reduce our original capital plan. Or do we need additional capital? We're going to hold the asset and put more money in to grow the asset. And every one of these scenarios I'm describing, we have done. In all of the assets we've held in our portfolio, we have sold early, we have refinanced, We've refinanced with cash out, we've added supplemental debt, we've held assets longer than we originally anticipated, we've invested additional capital, we've been able to harvest capital back that we didn't ultimately need to invest. Every one of those scenarios has occurred, and over time, we've developed more sophisticated tools to help us actively make those decisions. So what does that mean for you? Well, if you're a passive investor investing with Mara Poling or a sponsor, someone like Mara Poling, then that's something you might want to inquire about and understand how often do you take a look at the assets and make decisions about these kinds of items, about selling, about uh, debt structures, about uh, cash out and so on. And if you get an answer that makes sense, well, that's great. If you don't, well, that may be something in future decisions that is something of value to you that you want to add to your list. Now, if you're building your own portfolio, I would encourage you to, one, not only have an underwrite of whatever level of detail you're comfortable with up front, I would encourage you every year to sit down and pull that underwrite out and go through and do some sort of updating to it. At a minimum, list out the questions and see if you have data that helps you make a decision about any of those forks in the road. We find this very valuable when we have, in the last few years, come to that place where, hey, it's time to make a decision Probably 70% of the time, the decision the data ends up guiding us to is the decision we kind of felt like was the right decision up front. There's a reason your gut says what your gut says, that your instinct has been developed that way. And as I said, it's probably 70%, maybe it's 80%. It's not 100%. There are absolutely decisions we have made that I looked at and said, huh that's probably not the direction i would have taken had you simply asked me cold what do you think about this asset and what should we do that's the value of doing an annual underwrite our objective is to be data based in all of the decisions that we make it one we think it produces the highest quality of decision and two It's very freeing as a decision maker. And within our organization, we have a great group of folks that work together to put those uh, analyses in place and make recommendations for our investment funds. I am personally the decision maker. I'm the one that ultimately says, yes, let's go do that. Or no, I don't agree with that. Bring me more data and let's get to a better decision. It's very comforting as a decision maker to have data that points me in what ultimately we think is the right direction, as opposed to laying my head on my pillow at night, hoping that my gut was taking us in the right direction, which, as I said, 70, maybe even 80% of the time, those match up, not every time. So I encourage you, whether you're a passive investor, or whether you're an active investor with your own portfolio, seek out investments that take advantage of annual underwriting and ask questions so that you can develop a better understanding of why this continues to be a good investment for you. I hope you found this valuable. I'd like you to join us next week when we return to our investment thesis process, and we're going to be talking about Goldilocks class class B multifamily and why we think it's the right asset class within multifamily to invest in. So thanks for joining us this week and join us next week for that special episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Pollack